Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Jim? Hi, Catherine. Are you still in California? I am. I am in California. It is... You know how during this time it's hard to describe things that are happening without seeming like you're using a cliche? For me, no, but I understand that's a common sentiment. (laughs) Anyway, there is an apocalyptic quality, I would say, to California right now because of the the smoke. Yeah. I saw the Oakland Athletics. Are you you referring to a sports team? (laughs) There's a sports team called the Athletics? Yeah. This is a serious question. Yeah. Is that real? Yeah. It's like calling a sports team sports. Mm-hmm. The sporters. Um, honestly, it's more logical than a lot of the names. That, the Cleveland that sports sporters. Right. So there was a baseball game in Seattle where it was just hazy. Like you could see oh. the thickness of the air. And they were playing? Yeah, they started playing. At least one of the outfielders was wearing an N95. What? Why are they playing? Yeah. Uh, and there's all these fake figures of people in the stands. It just the whole scene was really. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, yeah. Now I'm reaching for a cliche out of science fiction, but that is, you know, science fiction is very accurately predicting the future here. Um, is the air like that near you? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been mostly in the Bay Area and. I mean, on Wednesday last week, I think it was Wednesday. I mean, you probably saw the pictures of the the sky was orange. Yeah. And it felt like it was night. All the colors were distorted. It was, I've never seen anything like it. Actually, the closest I've seen to it was the moments before an eclipse. Mm-hmm. The light gets really weird and like colors get really weird and it gets dark. And it, it felt like that, but for a whole day. But the strange thing was that day, the air on the ground was actually fine because it was all suspended really high in the air. And then it started to fall down. And the ash? It rained. Yeah, the ash like came down and coated every surface. Like every surface outside was covered in a layer of ash. Hmm. It's been a strange experience because it's felt like I felt like I kind of adjusted to the reality of the pandemic, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've been in this for six months and. New York and March and April were especially kind of frightening and depressing, but I felt like I'd kind of reached an equilibrium, but there's something like really freshly terrifying about this to me. Yeah. There's horrific stories of tragedy. Many people have died. So many homes just like are gone. National forests are being burned at the ground and it's going on for weeks. So there's this, of course, element of like, you know, you're reading about these horrible things, but not being able to go outside. Like we're in a situation on the West Coast right now. The combination of COVID and the smoke means that you can't be inside mm-hmm. or outside. Like you can't be inside with other people because of COVID. Oh, you right. can't be outside because of the smoke. Right. So you're basically, it's honestly, it's the closest feeling I've had to being like in New York in April, back when we didn't know anything, and it was just like, you cannot go outside, don't talk to anyone. 
just don't do it. And your world gets really, really small, really fast. Right. Anyway, it's been deeply unsettling in a way that I haven't felt since like May. (laughs) Oh, no. But I know that people out here are used to, I mean, this ha- This is obviously worse than ever, but some element of this has, has happened for years. So it's very new to me. To some degree, wildfires occur naturally as part of the cycle of how forests are maintained, but they're happening more frequently, more widely, being started by, <laughs> by people inadvertently um, more often, and the season in which they are able to propagate is longer. So this is a very depressing situation, obviously. I will say I spent a couple hours outside yesterday, and I I don't know, I probably shouldn't have, and my, like, nose is stuffed up, and I feel similar to, like, as if I smoked a couple cigarettes last night. Oh, wow. Which I didn't, so... But it's a similar effect. Your airways are coated in these little... Cilia that are very, very fragile. Cilia? Is that little hairs? Yeah, these little hair-like projections. There was a... a... Hair-like projections? They're not actually hairs? <laughs> no, not No, really. I don't know hairs. anything about the, the sinus system. Tell yeah, me. So Give me they, some basic, they like, They sort what's of happening. wave around and they help us, they help us um, expectorate things from... Expectorate? Mm-hmm. You, you know, mean, like, cough. Blow, blow your nose? Yeah. Oh, or, like, get uh-huh. things out. Um, expectorate. Mm-hmm. But there was this image in the New England Journal of Medicine of an, from an electron microscope of the cilia in the, the airways um, coated in virus in, you know, human mm. cells mm-hmm. that were infected. And they're just, with you know, COVID. from these sort of pristine looking hairs to just coated in these little balls of, uh, oh my God. of virus. Yeah. And you see, it's just, you know, at that level, like a super fragile little environment yeah. that as soon as you're inhaling particles or virus or anything, it's easy to see how that can be disrupted. I'm getting a little scared again. Um, So I don't know a lot about what all of this means. I mean, obviously inhaling smoke is bad for you, obviously. But, you know, there I've been monitoring air quality and there's sort of this numbers scale, but I'm less familiar with it. So I'm like, is one, I mean, I know over a hundred is bad, but is it, that bad um like yesterday it was about 150 and i was out for a couple hours like is that really 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 bad like have i very much damaged myself or is that like okay if you have to be outside you got to be outside you know yeah i just don't really know how to manage it and i'm also i mean i think this obviously raises a lot of questions about covid right anything that's messing up your nasal passage cannot be good for covid mm-hmm it is really depressing out here, I have to say. I mean, I'm not alone in this sentiment, but you, uh, it's depressing. You are on a search for peace and happiness, and you left New yeah, York it's not in, at the wrong time. <laughs> it ain't out here in California. <laughs> <laughs> it's very beautiful here. Oh, really? Our infection rate is low. Yeah. It's a good moment. I left at the wrong time, mm-hmm. at the exact wrong time, huh? You know, Jim, one of the things I've been doing out here, which has made it kind of even more oppressive feeling than before, is so I came out here and my sister gave me a, she has an N95 for previous wildfires. She gave me an N95, but it has one of those um, uh, valves on it. Mm -hmm. So your breath comes out, which I understand is bad for COVID. 
So I've been walking around with a an N95 on for the smoke. Yeah. And a cloth mask over it for COVID. Wow. And it honestly is difficult to breathe yeah. when you have that amount of like barrier between you and the air. Right. I mean, I guess that's the point. But it's a new level of feeling like you are just, your body and the environment are just at odds. Right. I, I'm just curious for a primer on how bad these levels of smoke are, what we know about the effects um, mm. of pollution on the lungs, and then how does that interact with coronavirus? I mean, this is a pulmonary nightmare. Yeah. You know, we hear a lot about high-risk populations and pre-existing conditions. Right. And um, I, I believe there's some evidence that people who have lived in areas where they've already sustained damage from inhaling air pollution their whole life um, right. are at higher risk. I mean, you're at high risk of all sorts of pulmonary diseases, so I would be surprised if it didn't also apply to right. risk for severity of uh, COVID-19. Right, right. What do you know about how smoke, you know, what can you tell me about smoke and health? This is Obviously kind of, it's bad, but can Yeah, you, this is outside my area of expertise in terms, beyond the general, that millions of people die as a result of yeah. um, air pollution, indoor and outdoor, every year. And it contributes to chronic diseases in a way that, you know, we've known is really important. But exactly how to interpret specific conditions and how dangerous they are. Like, I mean, when to be indoors or outdoors, this is kind of beyond me. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to phone an expert. Phone an expert. Who should Who should we call? Today, we're going to talk to John Balms. He's a professor at Berkeley School of Public Health and UCSF School of Medicine. So he's an MD, a pulmonologist, who has also studied the impact of air quality on human health. So he knows, he's, he's the guy for this. He knows exactly what smoke does to your lungs and how it might interact with COVID. If anyone does, yeah. So he also created this I'm I'm reading online about him, and he also created this lab called the Human Exposure Laboratory, created in 1985 at UCSF. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just going to read you the page of the Human Exposure Laboratory. The Human Exposure Laboratory, parentheses, hell, is one of a small number of facilities in the U.S. that are equipped to conduct controlled human exposure studies of inhaled pollutants. The hell, again, hell, built in 1985 and renovated in 2008, is equipped with a 9-by-9-by-9-foot environmental chamber with automated climate control, generation monitoring equipment for many pollutants, including ozone, chlorine, secondhand tobacco smoke, and wood smoke exposure, etc., etc., an adjacent wet lab for experimentation on biologic samples. I, what, what did you say? Exp what was the thing that you said? The coughing word? Oh, expectorate. Oh, I bet that's for analyzing expectorate, the yep. expectorated liquids. Yep. So they're exposing people. So they're they're exposing people in a chamber. But it sounds like to things that we're exposed to anyway. You know, that tends to and be the line called... where we draw on human research. You know, we we wouldn't damage people in a way they weren't already endangering themselves. If they're going to be doing it. We can do it in a lab and have them, say, smoke cigarettes and watch how it affects the cilia. The purpose is noble. So maybe we can ask Dr. Balms about how the hell 
came to be. <laughs> Hi. This is Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for taking time with us. Jim's Jim's here, too. Uh, hi, Dr. Bombs. Hi, Jim. Are you in the Bay Area? I am. I've been out in the Bay Area for the past few weeks, and I, I mean, I'm, I, I know there have been summers like with some of these elements before, but it is just, I mean, is this surprising to you? Well, yes and no. Uh, it's certainly the worst air quality I've experienced since I've lived in the Bay Area, which uh, I moved here from L.A. in 1986. It doesn't really surprise me. This wildfire season was predicted to be particularly bad because of the drought we had. And it was predicted to be uh, hot and dry this summer. What was unexpected were the lightning strikes. Right. Uh, we don't even have much lightning during the rainy season in early August. We don't expect rain and we don't expect lightning. Yeah. I mean, what a, I, I know you study this stuff, so it can't be that surprising to you. But I mean, the, like, for instance, last week, that orange day, like, is there a surreal a surreality or like a surreal quality to it for you or no? Like, how do you experience it as a person living there? Well, you know, I'm a big uh, Tolkien fan. So it seemed like Mordor <laughs> that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a good analogy. Yeah. No, it really did. I mean, it was. Yeah. The evil eye of Sauron. What the sun looked like. Yeah. Um, yeah. The air quality wasn't even that bad that day. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was a, the smoke plume was up high, blocking out the sun. Um, right. But we had uh, heavy fog. The marine layer was actually protecting the air we breathe from being really bad. It wasn't good, but uh, it was actually Friday of that week, last week, where there was more sun, but the air quality got into purple. Right. Very unhealthy for everyone. When you say purple, like I've come out to California just recently and the air quality indicators are all new to me. You know, I don't have a innate sense of like, oh, purple's bad. You know, I've been learning. Um, can you orient me a little bit to, you know, the system that we're using to track air quality, the sort of numbers and the colors? Sure. It's actually a national system. Your listeners should get familiar with airnow.gov. Airnow.gov. That's the website mm -hmm. that will give you HQI for your location. Mm -hmm. So zero to 50 is green and that's healthy air. Uh, 51 to 100 is moderate. That's yellow. And that's, uh can start to be a problem for people with pre-existing lung disease, also heart disease. Then 101 to 150 is orange. And that's when mm -hmm. it's especially harmful to people with pre-existing heart and lung disease. At 151 to 200, it starts being unhealthy for everyone so that even people without heart and lung disease may experience symptoms. And then mm -hmm. 201 to 300, that's purple. And then that's definitely unhealthy for everyone. At that point, even healthy people are advised not to exercise outdoors. Uh, most healthy people will not experience symptoms in the red zone. That is really good to know. That is so good to know because I spent, I, I, since I'm so unfamiliar with these things, I spent a couple hours outside at 150. And I was, I mean, I'm now like stopped up. I feel like I have a cold. But I mean, how bad is that? Did you have a cold or you just felt like you had a cold? No, I feel like I have one now. <laughs> I mean, like my nose is running after spending yeah, a couple so that, hours. If I, if I had a cold, I wouldn't try to be outside when the air quality is poor because that 
might make your cold worse. Oh, yeah. I didn't have it before. I just feel like I have one now. Yeah. Well, that could be related to being outside in the bad air quality. One of the risk factors for wildfire smoke exposure is an increased risk of lower respiratory tract infections. Uh, that's acute bronchitis and pneumonia, which is particularly problematic when in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I assume you're going to want to talk about that, but, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's but it probably decision. increases the risk of other viral infections as well, including, you know, common cold. And I just wanted to, while we're still on the AQI, I wanted mm-hmm. to mention that it never got beyond purple in the Bay Area, but Sacramento was up to 460, which is uh, extremely hazardous. And uh, my understanding was Salem, Oregon was off the index, greater than 500. Oh my God. And to put that in perspective, that's like New Delhi in the month of November. It's frequently that high, but people also get very sick from the air pollution in New Delhi. Yeah. Can I ask a clarifying with the AQI, when you talk about people getting sick, you're talking about having short term symptoms. Is that correct? Versus having long term effects from, from levels of exposure? Yes. The AQI is focused on short term effects. But those short-term effects can be serious for people with pre-existing lung and heart disease. Sure. I'm curious, how did you get into this line of research? Well, I've been studying air pollution for a long time, both controlled human exposure studies in my former lab, where I actually exposed people to control conditions of exposure to pollutants, and then uh, epidemiologic studies, population-based studies, which I'm still doing. Can I ask you about your lab? I was reading about it. What do you call the lab? It was called the Human Exposure Lab, or Hell, <laughs> because we, you know, we, we were joking about that, because we would have volunteers come be exposed to a pollutant on one day, and then on another day, breathe filtered air as a control, and we wouldn't tell the participants, uh, though they sometimes could tell. Just don't mind all of this, the barbecue smell in the air. <laughs> it's smoky here, yeah. <laughs> Did you come up with the name Hell first and then decide on the letters? No, it was Human Exposure Laboratory, and then we jokingly called it Hell. (laughs) It sounds a little hellish. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't make people sick for ethical reasons, and we had to get all our studies approved by our institutional review board. Uh, We occasionally had people that were particularly sensitive and did get sicker than we wanted, but most people just developed a biological signal that we could measure. So you weren't exposing people to things that they would not be exposed to in certain parts of the world just ambiently. Is that right? Right. We never did anything but an ambient pollutant, though we we tried and got approval to expose people to diesel exhaust, but we never actually did the study because uh, the hospital wouldn't really let me, <laughs> you know, use yeah. a diesel generator. <laughs> okay. One more question on this, and then we'll get into the meat of it. But in back when there were cocktail parties or whatever social gatherings and and you would go and someone would say hey what do you do and you'd say would you say like i work in hell i well she's very into the acronym i would tell people about what i did and i might stray into hell that you know nickname for my lab but not right off got it (laughs) yeah yeah not not you don't want to bring that up right right i usually try to explain what i did first and then i Right, right. And then and then mention that it's called hell. Okay. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. I'm sorry for my fixation on that. It just really... The imagery is a little on the nose. The imagery is... <laughs> the orangeness of the sky and the ash <laughs> yeah. and the fires all around. And, right. In any case. 
So even when people aren't feeling symptoms, they may not, you, you know, you said it's rare that people actually got sick, but you were able to pick up inflammatory markers that these sorts of exposures, like you and Catherine, might have had in recent days if you spent a long time outside, would be causing inflammation that could sort of um, make a person prone to different sorts of conditions, including respiratory viral infections. Yeah, that's why I can say confidently that exposure to wildfire smoke PM 2.5. What, what does PM 2.5 mean? That's fine particles that are 2.5 microns in diameter or smaller. And to put that into perspective, Catherine, a human hair is about 60 microns in diameter. So these are really tiny particles that can be inhaled down into the deep lung. And they cause okay. inflammation of the airways and the alveoli or the air sacs of the deep lung. And so I can say confidently that wildfire smoke does this. It's been shown in wildland firefighters uh, that wildfire smoke causes airway inflammation. And I showed other types of smoke, uh, ozone, for example, both cause airway inflammation. And that is probably one of the mechanisms by which air pollution and particulate matter increases risk of low respiratory tract infections, including COVID-19. Yeah. I wanted to ask specifically about that, you know, does it increase your your risk of having more severe disease once you've been infected, if you've been living in a place that has high levels of exposure to particulate matter versus someplace else? Yes, there's uh, building evidence with regard to air pollution, particulate matter in particular, and COVID-19. Um, the best studied association is severity of COVID-19. Uh, mm -hmm. including one study that you probably have heard about out of Harvard. I think it's just actually getting published this week in Science. I have not heard about it. So it, it's a study where they looked at the county level, counties with more chronic exposure to PM 2.5 had more COVID-19 deaths across the country. Hmm. You know, that's chronic exposure, not acute heavy exposure. But uh, other studies from China and uh Italy, for example, suggests that short-term levels of PM 2.5 do increase the risk of severe COVID-19. Mm. What, what is less clearly understood, but there are some studies that are suggestive, is whether exposure to air pollution and particulate matter in particular increases your risk of getting the infection. There are good reasons to suspect that it would increase your risk of infection, but that's not been as well established as the severity of COVID-19. And that's what it, most people are really afraid of, you know, is getting a severe case. Or um, Yes. So, and you're, you're talking about things where the air quality index, that color might be on the low or safe side, but people have just been chronically exposed to it. That's the sort of effect that might put you at risk of more severe COVID-19 if you do contract the virus. Yes, the Harvard study, that was actually surprising, you know, because that was a U.S. study. It's not in Delhi wasn't during wildfire season. US PM 2.5 levels aren't that bad compared to many other parts of the world. And there was still an increased risk. There was an 8% increase risk for every one microgram per meter cube. That's the unit of measurement of PM 2.5. So that was actually pretty strong effect. Wow. So in terms of, you know, practical advice for how to handle this, I mean, one situation is the smoke and, you know, even if it goes on for a month, well, you can get an air purifier, you can not go outside. But if you live in an area that has 
even slightly elevated air pollution for years, it sounds like that is also really... I mean, have you spent time in communities with, uh, you know, slightly elevated air pollution? And what do we know about how those are distributed and what happens there? Well, I've done research all over the world with regard to air pollution and have been in India, for example, Mm -hmm. and in cities in Africa where there's often a lot of biomass smoke from cooking on solid fuels outdoors. Right. We do know a lot about chronic exposure to PM 2.5, and there are all sorts of health effects related to that exposure. And the global burden of disease effort, which comes out every couple of years, has listed PM 2.5 as the most important environmental risk factor for death and disability worldwide. And in places like India, it's a huge component of disease burden. You know, in terms of, you know, wildfire smoke, we just don't have those kinds of chronic exposure studies because the community hasn't been exposed chronically before in general. That's not entirely true. There there was an air inversion in Northern California over the uh, Yurok tribe reservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had bad air for like a month. And the CDC actually used that to study whether masks and air purifiers helped with regard to respiratory symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that study showed actually that if people stayed indoors, that they did better. It also showed that the HEPA air purifiers worked. What they found somewhat surprisingly was wearing a uh, respirator like an N95. I think they weren't officially N95s then, but wearing a respirator didn't actually protect you. What? Well, their feeling was that the people went outdoors thinking that they could spend as much time as they wanted. If they were wearing an N95. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was the hand-waving answer to why that might have occurred. We, we do know that N95s protect people from wildfire smoke. Um, unfortunately, cloth masks don't. Mm-hmm. Um, cloth masks, which we're wearing to protect others from the wearer transmitting the virus, work for that but they don't protect against inhaling fine particles because the those 2.5 micron sized particles go right through the weave of a cloth mask. A surgical mask is better. That will get you about 20 to 30% reduction in wildfire smoke PM 2.5, but an N95 will get 95% reduction if it fits you properly. And even if you haven't been properly fitted, it probably will give you, you know, 80% reduction. The trouble is N95s aren't necessarily available to the general public now because of their uh, reservation for healthcare workers right. uh, mm-hmm. and other first responders. But a type of N95 that is available is an N95 with an exhalation valve, which is actually more comfortable to wear. Right. So I, I have one of those, but right. I've been wearing that and then a cloth mask over it. Perfect. For COVID. You're great. That's the way you should. It's do not it. comfortable. <laughs> say it was comfortable, but it protects you, <laughs> and it protects others. <laughs> I wanna. I, I want. Uh, I want everything. I want to protect everyone and also be comfortable at the same time. Doesn't seem like that's going to be. I possible. can tell you that if you're just walking, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about infecting others with uh, an N95 with an exhalation valve. Oh, really? Because it's just dispersed. It's you not have, like no. You have to breathe yeah. hard enough to open the valve. Oh. So. If you're exercising, it'll... I mean, my level of physical fitness is not extremely high, so I might, like, even a walk might make me a little winded, but got it. That's, you know, if you're jogging or cycling, it's going to open the valve. Got it, got it, got it. Just walking, it won't. And matter of fact, 
we're trying to get CDC to not be so strict about the use of N95s with exhalation valves for the public. I totally am fine with healthcare workers not using them. But, you know, I, there's a, a grocery store that won't let me in unless I put masking tape or wear another mask. <laughs> the uh, airlines are doing similar things too. Yeah, and I understand that. Yeah. And the airline situation is a little bit different than a grocery store. Uh, that's it seems like the N95 with masking tape over the mouth and, and the like sky is orange. Well, like it is, it's a, you're painting a vivid picture of. Yeah. <laughs> I only say that because they're letting people do these things with far inferior masks, um, and, exactly. but, but but preventing the N95 with valves. I'm sorry, but I realize it's after 11 and I oh. have another call I have to be on. I mean, I can reschedule some more time with you guys if you need it. But. Oh no, that's a, I I think that's okay. Well, can we ask you one last question? Just so, sure. which is what's kind of the what do we need to know about air quality and COVID? We think that there is an increased risk of COVID nineteen with poor air quality, and that includes poor air quality due to wildfire smoke. And so, that people should try to reduce their exposure as much as possible. And the best thing to do is to stay indoors uh, with the windows closed, portable air cleaners in any room that they they want to spend a lot of time in. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Thank you. I know you're so busy and I appreciate yeah, yeah. you spending you the so time much. with us. Okay. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Some people have concern about N95s with valves because they could be letting virus out, but they should not be letting wildfire smoke in, which is why I think, um, you know, he said that that should be fine to wear with regard just to PM 2.5. The particulate matter in Smoke is much larger than the virus, so it should be easier right. to keep out. Well, I'm hoping for everyone's sake that the Eye of Sauron PM 2.5 smoke hellscape <laughs> clears soon. But yes, obviously, I mean, this is going to happen more and more. And even if we get rid of coronavirus, you know, even if we get a vaccine in the next six months, like We're there's not. fire season next year. What? Like, definitely not. Did something happen? We should talk more about Something this. Something new? Well. Wait, what? There's not going to be a widespread, meaningfully used vaccine that soon. Six months? No. When? The world's largest vaccine maker, the Serum Institute, said it uh, may take till 2024. Um, what? Pfizer <laughs> what? Uh, said the pandemic phase of coronavirus is expected to last through 2021 into the beginning of 2022. Um, we may have a prototype that is narrowly used, as Sarah was telling <sighs> us last week, within six months. But we, um, when you say we, you know, I, I really think just to clarify, when we say have a vaccine, we mean usually widely used. Um, no, no, in I the know, same way we mean we... like when we have space shuttles. Like, yeah, we do have space shuttles, but you know, most people don't have space shuttles. Mm. <laughs> Wait, I totally understood that there was not going to be a like widely available vaccine soon, but I did think like it could be possible by March or mid a summer next year. You're saying no. No, I don't think even administration officials have given us reason to think that we would have something that more than a few million people would have received by the middle of next year. Oh my In the God. best case scenario. Oh my God. Plan on that. I just guess, plan on that. If, if, no, I, no, if, I, knew, if that I, I just, is, proves to yeah. be wrong, I will be so, so happy and so surprised. I feel like, Jim, I feel like we're back at the beginning. No. That's what today is feeling like. It's okay. like we're back at the beginning. You know? What can I do for you? 
to no, make no. you not feel that way. <laughs> I don't need your emotional management. I just like, I want to note that this combination of circumstances is making me feel like we're back at the beginning. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, go to the store, buy what you need in order to stay inside until the wildfires clear. I'm going to give you a list. Yeah, do. Go back to episode one. Yeah, and just get the same stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, wow. Okay. That was a real curveball at the end there, Jim. Sorry. 2024. Oh, my God. Well, you know, they could be wrong, but... uh, and that said, to get everyone a vaccine, you know, that, that, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. What, what we would need in order to feel that this was like gone or not spreading beyond local tiny outbreaks. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, God. Okay. Well, we can do something fun next week, though, right? Sure. You have anything in mind? Um, how about a live taping of the episode? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We are doing something fun next week. We have long done a, a live event uh, at the Atlantic called the Atlantic Festival. We are doing it virtually, digitally, online this year. So it's it will be sort of live. I don't expect it will be meaningfully different to you, the listener. because No, but I mean, people can sign up and participate, right? Oh, yeah. If you'd like to Talk sign to up us and live. come to the session and hear it like recorded live, yeah, um, that would be great. Register for the Atlantic Festival. What people don't realize is how much of the stuff I say that Kevin has to edit out. (laughs) Yes, come see. (laughs) I I mean, if you think the edited version is incoherent and rambling, come check out how much more rambling and incoherent it can be. No, no, we're going to talk next week at the Atlantic Festival, which is all virtual this year and anyone can register to attend. We're going to be talking with Alexis Madrigal about the upcoming months and what people can expect. And we're also going to be uh, taking questions and answering some listener questions. So this is a way you can participate live. And there's a lot of other wonderful speakers and sessions happening. So check it out at theatlanticfestival.com. And uh, you can register there for free. The festival is next week from September 21st to 24th. You can hear from Anthony Fauci, Hillary Clinton... Billy Porter, and me and Jim. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, We'll take questions. Can I take questions? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. No, that will be fun. That will be fun. Um, Well, thank you, Jim. We'll talk more about this um, prediction you just made. Yeah. This show was produced today by Kevin Townsend, an asthmatic from the Bay Area who appreciated hearing this conversation. (laughs) To be clear, Kevin wrote that. Uh, write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com or call us at 202-642-6487 and leave us a message. If you like the show and want access to all of The Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing to The Atlantic at theatlantic.com forward slash support us. How's Moses? Oh, he's huge. Huge? Yeah, an enormous How boy. How big is he? Mm, 40 pounds. 40 pounds. But he's still... I and mean, he's like he, a month old. <laughs> he's just like one of those big, hefty puppies, you know, thick. Yeah. Um, big uh, boned. Yeah. You know, he acts and moves like a puppy, but he's very large. Yeah. An unintentional destruction to his physical uh-huh. presence. My uh-huh. large adult yeah. puppy's son. Right. Right. Well, I'm glad y'all are having <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk next week. And yeah. We can certainly talk more about Moses uh, live at the Atlantic. (laughs) 
Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.